the mountaintop treasure series almost to the end. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed what the Lord's been showing us at the top of these things. Today, we are going to be talking about the Mount of Olives. This is my second favorite mountain, along with Mount Carmel, of course. You know, I mean, you got you got some seriously good eating in the Bible. Um, but, you know, I was a little out of my rhythm this week in preparation, so that really fine hack job of photoshopping there is about all I really had time for. But, <laughs> uh, you know, we've been visiting these mountains in the Bible, the Old Testament and now the New Testament and stuff, and thinking about what God is speaking to us at the tops of these, these amazing mountains. And uh, I don't know what your favorites have been. We're, we've done six so far. We've got this morning and then next Sunday to finish the series with Mount Calvary. And uh, this, you know, I think uh, my favorites have been Mount Moriah and Mount Zion. Mount Moriah, the treasure at the top of that was that there's always blessing on the other side of what? Obedience. That when we obey God, there's always guaranteed blessing. You're not ever sure what that blessing is going to be till you obey, but it's always good. It's always rich. It's always sweet. And then uh, I like Mount Zion because that was the week that we just understood. The sons of Korah wrote that psalm that it's redeemed sinners who make the very best kind of worshipers, right? So if you've got a sin past, you're, you're perfect. You're, you're perfect material for being an amazing worshiper of God, just releasing your gratitude for our sins being washed by the blood of Jesus, yeah? So I've loved those two. Today we are going to look at uh, the treasure of, Mount, of the Mount of Olives, which you'll find, if you'd like, in Matthew chapter 24 in your Bibles. I didn't put any scripture up on the screen today because it's a long chapter and we're not going to read all of it. Um, You can find a parallel version of this same passage in Mark chapter 13 or Luke 21. And uh, the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, what is it? Uh, It was named for the olive groves around it. I mean, that's probably, probably would come to our mind pretty quickly that it must have been a place that uh, actually because of the slope and the climate, one side actually begins a desert the Judean desert, um, it created a perfect kind of climate for whatever it is olives like. And so olive trees were very prevalent, very prolific there. So it was called the Mount of Olives. Interestingly, it was the site, it is now the site of a 3,000-year-old Jewish cemetery containing over 150,000 grave sites, it's estimated. And some of the great uh, prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, for example, are believed to be buried there on Mount Olive, uh, Mount of Olives. So that's that's pretty pretty interesting. Just to think that that all of those um, all of those Israelites were buried there. Um, interestingly, also the Mount of Olives is the place where the Roman soldiers camped during the war that resulted in the destruction of the Temple in 70 A.D. So when there was a war that broke out, basically between the Jews and the Romans in 70 A.D., and they came to Jerusalem. And they destroyed the temple, which I think we visited in various teachings along the way of why the temple was destroyed from, from our understanding of God's point of view, um, that the, the Roman soldiers actually camped. on they, they, It was their staging area, which I think has significance. Uh, because the fourth thing you should know is the place where Jesus gave his prophetic, prophetic Olivet Discourse, which is what we're interested in today. Olivet Discourse, which is a record in Matthew 24 and the other chapters I, or references I gave you, called the Olivet Discourse because it sounds fancy. Olivet, I don't know, Mount of Olives. 
I don't know why we do that in the church. It makes us feel more sophisticated or something. We have to understand that at the basis of our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is not refinement. It's not sophistication. It's not cleverness. It's sons and daughters. It's being children of the living God. Okay? So I resist these kind of things, but, uh, you know, this has been called the all of it discourse by fancy people, so I wanted to throw that in there. But during this time, Jesus is telling more about who he is and what he's going to do in his return when he comes the second time. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is coming back. And he's, if your faith is in Christ, he's coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride. And so uh, uh, he was talking more about that. I find it so striking in so many ways that, that Jesus chose the Mount of Olives to talk about this where he was standing at the site of 150,000 dead Jews, right? And he's come in fulfillment of all that they had ever longed for and seeing the Messiah and the promise of eternal life and all these things. And there he is standing there. And I think in one way he's saying, I'm going I'm to tell you this from here because it's done. This is done. This is dead. I have perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament covenant through my blood, through my life, through my resurrection. And I, I, you know, I might be reaching, but I think it's interesting that he did that. And that he did that before it was the staging area for the Romans to come and destroy the temple, which was no longer necessary because we don't need a temple, we don't need a priest, because Jesus is our high priest. And so I just find it really interesting that Jesus chose this place, both historically in the past with already so many dead Jews there, and then in in anticipation, in advance of when the Romans would come and set up their camp thinking they were doing their own thing, but they're actually being used by the hand of God to destroy the temple. I think that's pretty interesting stuff, but bigger, longer story. So Jesus in this Matthew 24, he starts talking about what it's going to be like when he comes back. He's coming back. And this is a field of, uh, of study in the, in the Bible called eschatology. It's fun to say. It comes from the Greek word eschatos or eschaton, which means end or end times. And ology, like everything, zoology, etc., is the study of. So this word eschatology, if you're newer to this whole Bible thing, is, uh, is the whole field of study that has to do with Jesus coming back, his return, and all the, the particular details that go with that. So in your Bibles, in Matthew 24, let's set up a little bit of context before we actually start looking at the text itself. The context is that this Matthew chapter 24 is a record of something that Jesus said in between the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the crucifixion. So this is its go time. This is he's already coming to Jerusalem on, the, on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, if you will, has already happened. They came in. Everybody goes, oh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then now this is the week in between. And a lot happens in this week. But I want you to try to get this in your mind to put a kind of frame of reference around these things that Jesus is saying. Because this is his last week. This is his last opportunity to say what he believes as the Son of God incarnate, as, uh, as, as Jesus, to say the things that really need to be said. So it's really go time. Um, second, the Olivet Discourse, uh, context-wise, is, is, is something that occurs in all three of the synoptic Gospels. Now, if you're newer to the Bible thing and go, what's a synoptic gospel? You say, I'm just getting my head around the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. And I don't know, as you've been reading, have you noticed how Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to kind of trend together? 
And then John seems to be doing, he's talking about similar things, but a whole different thing. And, and it's because John says in his gospel, he says, these things are written so that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in his name. So the whole purpose of John writing his gospel was as an evangelistic uh, message to everybody saying, it's him, it's him. The word has become flesh. He died for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. So you have John that kind of sits apart from the other three gospels. The other three gospels are synoptic in that they give a historical synopsis of the life of Jesus. And so you can see things that occur in each of the three, or all three together, maybe I should say it that way. Make sense? I think when we see some account that occurs in all three of the synoptic gospels, that it was inspired by God to bring that, that we should pay special attention to that. Because each of the gospel writers was chosen by God to bring this account, but in some cases it was like, I want, I want this in all, I want this everywhere. And this is one of the things that was everywhere, this uh, Mount of uh, Olives thing. And I think the third thing you have to understand by context to get this is that Jesus is really bringing it. Okay? Jesus is really bringing it. And he's preaching the way some people really like preaching to happen. I mean, he is bringing the freight. So what happens between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion? Oh, he makes a whip and clears the temple running out the money changers. He braids a whip and he runs the money changers out of the temple. And he said, you, this, is my, uh, this is my father's house, house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. So that's, that's kind of a new side of Jesus, isn't it? It's like we hadn't seen that Jesus before. But he's really bringing it. And it's part of the context. He gives three cutting parables uh, in this whole time about how, re- how, how the religious who reject him are going to be left out and the redeemed sinners who receive him are going to be invited into heaven. So he gives these three parables about that. Um, I guess that's not up there. Uh, that's, don't look for it. It's not supposed to be, Bob. That was my ADD kicking in. Uh, but he gives these three parables about, you know, you people who think you're so religious. He said, you're going to be left out because you're rejecting me. And he says, you know who's going to come in? And he even uses the word like prostitutes. He said, they're going to come in. Why? Because, because they receive me. And they receive my work for their lives. We have to fight this, people. We have to fight this insidious religion that comes in. And takes away the life that we have in God. And then he gives seven woes to the religious people, which are very cutting. Very, he says, woe to you if, woe to you, you whitewashed sepulchers, you tombs, you're all white on the outside, inside you're full of dead men's bones. So he's really bringing it. And essentially in these woes, he says, one point he says, you, you religious people who are rejecting me, he says, catch us, he says, how'd you like to hear this from Jesus? You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you do, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's not the kind of thing you want to hear from Jesus, is it? And he's talking about these people who get stuck in religion, get stuck in the form. And in getting stuck in the form, they miss the life of God through his son Jesus Christ, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, he says, he says, the very basis of your faith, he says, is to be noticed by others. He says, that's why you do it. He says, you're doing this for show. And he says, if you don't get recognized, something's wrong. 
Jesus was really big on doing our works not to be recognized. And it's not that we can't celebrate them, of course, as a church. But we're not going to single you out, Chip, and go, Oh, good boy, way to go, man, way to go. Come up here and tell us all you've done. Because that's between you and God, isn't it? And Jesus was really big on this. And so this is the context that Matthew 24, the Mount of Olives sermon, comes from. And uh, there's so much that could be said about this. Uh, you know, the contents of what Jesus says. Um, in the Olivet Discourse alone, he just talks about so much that's going to happen in his coming. And, uh, and then you could take this passage and you could accurately connect it to other prophecies throughout the Old Testament, and you could hook it up with some things that were inspired by God in the rest of the New Testament and really begin to get a picture, if you would, of the nature of the coming of Jesus. And this is something called eschatology. Now, I freely admit that eschatology is not my field of strength. I, I feel like I should confess it. I, I, I don't find it even very interesting. I, I don't mind if people do, but it's like my fields of, of strength and interest are really Christology and soteriology. Why did I say that? Just to show off a little bit, okay? I paid a lot of money to learn big words, and I never get to use them, you know? And so just to show off, just indulge me a little bit. Soteriology is the study of salvation. That's really where I spend my time. How do people get saved, stay saved, grow in their salvation? Christology is the study of the nature of Christ. And that's what I want to know. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And so... Um, I'm just confessing to you that I'm reading through Matthew 24, having been led there as one of the mountains, the Mount of Olives, and going, Lord, you're really going to have to help me here. Because there's probably, no, there is so much more in here than I get because it's not my field of strength. So, But what I want to do is I just want to simply show you this Matthew 24 and show you the major points that stand out to me. Is that okay? Say, yeah, I'll begin again. Okay. Uh, I think the first point is that Jesus is making is that when he comes, we'll know it. When he comes back, we'll know it. Because he says, hey, don't go running off to people who say, I am the Christ. You'll hear of this. You'll hear of that. And someone will come and say, I'm the Christ. Don't go running after that. He says in verse 27, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he says, when I come, you'll know it. It's pretty hard to miss lightning at night, isn't it? It's pretty hard to miss lightning. And he says, when I come, you'll know it. So he says, don't spend your time worrying about, oh, did we miss his coming? Thessalonians, the letter, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says, you guys think some of you, there's this rumor that you all missed his coming. You're not going to miss this. In fact, no one is going to miss the coming of Jesus. The second thing I think is the major point is that when he comes, all nations will mourn. All nations will mourn. Where do you get that? Verse 30 and 31, at the time of the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. That's where I get it. I get it from the Bible. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Well, why would that make them mourn? Why would that make them mourn? Because it's done. It's too late. 
There's no more time. It's over. Salvation, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ now. Because when He comes back, it's done. There's not no, oh, now I see, now I bow to Jesus. Oh, you'll bow to Jesus. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But will you bow now to your great advantage in eternity or will you wait and bow at your own peril? That's the only difference. You're going to bow to Jesus. He's Lord. And you'll see it. And some will rejoice. And some will mourn. All nations will mourn. Because the time will be done. And then number three, I I think you should notice that he says that no one really knows when this is actually going to occur. In verse uh, 36 of the text, he says, no one knows about the day or the hour. Didn't I just tell you that? No one knows about the day or the hour. He says, not even the angels in heaven. And then he says, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's a strange reality of the Trinity. But he says, guys, I don't even know when I'm coming back. I'm coming when the Father says, go. And so really there's, there's no real value in trying to predict the date. The power of this, the purpose of these kind of passages in the Bible where Jesus talks about His coming back is not for us to sit around and try to calculate the date, but the purpose is to be sure that we're ready for it, and the purpose is to be sure that we are sharing the gospel with people so they have a chance to be ready for it. This is the purpose of this kind of teaching. So I think these are the major points in this uh, Matthew chapter 24. Now ask me, what's the treasure? I told you there's a treasure at the top of everyone. And I'm going like, you know, when I sketched this out in prayer about what mountains I felt like the Lord was calling us to, and I saw Mount of Olives, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like, Lord, you know, it's me. You want me to talk about that? and Just go there. So I'm thinking, oh, well, some cool revelation is going to occur to me that, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to know something about eschatology that I've never understood before. And uh, it just never happened. And I feel like I'm qualifying the treasure. I'm very excited about the treasure. But it really comes from verse 42 of our text. Verse 42 of our text, Jesus says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come again. This was one of my first Bible memory verses. And I was a pastor. I know. I went to seminary. I hadn't even read the Bible from cover to cover yet. Oh, I know. Much to my surprise, neither had a lot of the other students. Surprise? I think some of you know my story, and I came to Jesus. I started coming to Jesus as a teenager and got serious about coming to Jesus as a young adult. And I was reading the Bible, but I had never read it front to back. And I remember working my job as a maintenance man at a nursing home in the middle of the night in class during the day. And there were down times and I would sit down there in that lonely lobby of that nursing home. And I would just read, get, get, make my way from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, it was my second year as a pastor. And Karen and I were leading a Bible school. Lots of little kids. And this was one of the memory verses. And it was in King James, of course. 
Watch therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord may come again. I've never forgotten it. Watch. Watch therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord may come again. He says, you keep watch, because you don't know when I'm coming. You do not know. You can't know. He said, you can't even ask the angels. They can't tell you. You can't even ask me. I can't tell you. You can't know. He said, you have to watch, therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord may come again. And so the treasure of Mount of Olives is simply this. Do not wait until tomorrow to do what you know in your heart you should do today. Do not wait until tomorrow to do what you know in your heart you should do today. It's go time now. We're living between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion of Jesus. It's go time. Jesus says, be alert. You don't know when I'm coming back. And I would guess that every person in here can think of something that they've been pondering and kind of processing and thinking, yeah, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, I've got to do that. Jesus said, therefore, keep watch because you don't know when I'm coming back. So don't wait till tomorrow. Do not wait till tomorrow to do the thing that's stirring in your heart that needs to be done today. What are some examples? Maybe forgive someone from your heart for a sin committed against you. Some of you are injured. Some of you are living as prisoners of the injury. I'm not minimizing the sin that was committed against you. Some of you are victims of sexual abuse. Some of you are victims of all kinds of other things. And I'm not minimizing that. I can't. And I can't understand it. I can't understand your world. But I'm just saying... That as long as you harbor that sin, you live in the prison of it. Do you not? You're the one who loses. And I don't know emotionally how you go from where you are with the pain and the anger for the vicious things that maybe have been done to you. But I know this. Jesus said, forgive them. Forgive them. I know this. Jesus was being nailed to a cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You said that they did know what they're doing. No, they, they really didn't. They're really under the, under the influence of this evil world in which we live. You've got to let them go. You've got to forgive them. Don't keep holding on to that. You have your own hands on your own throat. Let it go. Forgive them. Forgive them. Maybe some of you need to be reconciled to a brother or sister in Christ with whom you are estranged. Things happen. Things happen. And things break down. You have differences of opinion. I'm not talking about some of these people who visit evil on you. I mean, there's a, the Bible speaks clearly about them. But I'm talking about a difference that occurred where you're estranged from a brother or sister in Christ you once loved. And you just, it's just broke. It's just a broken thing. You sort of get nervous when you see them, if you see them at all. That's an estrangement. That's an issue. Jesus said... He said it so plainly. He said, you know what? When you're lifting your hands to me in worship and you think of that, he said, I'd rather you just put your hands down, leave the church, and go be reconciled to your brother. He said, then come back and raise your hands to me. And maybe some of you right now are thinking about some reconciliation that you need to initiate. But it was their fault. I know, but they ain't coming, are they? 
It's on you. It's always on us. Well, don't wait till tomorrow to do what God's stirring in your heart to do today. Maybe some of you need to take steps to begin dealing with obvious sin issues in your life. We don't make long lists of sin issues around here. I like to emphasize the answer, not the problem. I think the problem is clear to you. You got sin issues in your life and you just keep saying, yeah, that's just who I am. Is that who you want to be? Is that how you want to go to heaven with that stuff going on? You're living in a way that you know is against the will of God? Well, just let him speak to you. Let's ask him today, God, what's my first step? Just tell me what my first step in getting out of this sin pattern is. Just show me my first step and take it. But I think the biggest of all things with respect to this treasure, some of you need to come to Christ. You need to come to Christ today. You need to give your life to him. You need to invite him in to be Savior and Lord of your life. You need to follow hard after him because you don't know when he's coming back. You can't think about this forever. In reality, he may come back before we hit the parking lot. In reality, he may come back for you before you hit the parking lot. The only heartbeat we have any guarantee of is the one we're having, right? Some of you need to come to Christ. You need to step over that line. Say, I've heard long enough. I've fooled around with this long enough. I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior, as my Lord. But I think the treasure of Mount, the Mount of Olives is simply that. Do not wait until tomorrow to do what you know you should do in your heart today. So, Lord, we give you this time and invite you to come and speak to us in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. Lots of different people here with different things going on, and I pray for them. I pray I pray that your Holy Spirit will move wonderfully and you'll, uh, you'll continue to just draw us along this path that you have for us, God. Thank you for these treasures that have been sitting at the tops of these mountains waiting for us to climb and discover. And uh, I just pray for this one, Lord. I pray, that, I pray that the important, essential things of our lives would be, would be taken as essential and we would do them. We would stop putting them off, stop allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed with the unimportant. Come, Lord. I pray for every person today who does need to forgive or be reconciled and begin to take these active steps away from the sin patterns of their lives. I just pray for them. I just pray the power of the Holy Spirit for them. And I pray for every person today who is considering giving their life to Jesus as Savior. God, would you come and Would you cause their hearts to release faith and trust in you as Savior? Would you cause them to make the response that you have in mind for them to make today? Just look to you now, Father, in the name of Jesus. We invite you to come and heal our sick, set our prisoners free, Lord. We invite you to come and perfectly fulfill your your work in us, Lord. Jesus, come. Jesus, reign over. Jesus reign over us. Jesus reign over us. There's something you'd like prayer for this morning, would you just come right now? Some something you'd like to receive personal prayer for, you'd like to come to Jesus. Whatever 
just come right now and just just kind of make a line of people here. Something you'd like to receive prayer for, just come on up. Very good. Yeah, you can do what you like when you get here. You can stand or sit or kneel. Something you'd like to receive prayer for, some issue in your life, you'd like to come to Christ as your Savior, just come on up. I'm going to pray for you.